As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, uh, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, as we open the scripture, we realize that our fingers are, seem quite nimble to be able to do that. Uh, we're grateful that you've given us fingers to open this book. We're grateful that we can read it. We're grateful that we can understand and we pray by your spirit that you would work in such a way in our lives that we would believe it. Uh, we, we know that we read it and we're held then under it, but we know that it requires the work of your wonderful grace in us to believe. And so we pray that you would enable us to embrace and believe, to trust. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Daniel in chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And as we've been doing throughout Daniel, and you've become so accustomed and attentive to, as I'm going to read the whole chapter. So listen now to this, which is the very word of God. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tested or tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. They, then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His, his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then... King Belshazzar was, greet, was, was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, 
whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you and the spirit of the gods that is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and, and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your Lord, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and who whose are all your ways you've not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the, of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Palshazzar gave the command and Daniel with clothed in, with clothed in purple a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Now, when I read this and as I read this, uh, first in the beginning, I just wondered what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, we just got so used to him and now there's another king. And so what happened to him, really? And, and then when I get to the end, I realize this is the end of the city. I mean, I mean, the, 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 this king is killed and the Medes and the Persians come in and, and that's it. Well, I, that was fast, right? I, I wonder what's going uh, on here. Well, we, we realize that, 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 that Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king. He's said to be the father of Belshazzar, and that means, yes, in terms of predecessor, not his immediate father, that is his biological father. Uh, there had been some upheaval after Nebuchadnezzar stopped being king, which was some 23 years prior to this chapter. 
There's some upheaval in the king and the king and the king. And then finally, the king that is Belshazzar's biological father sort of left. He had some issues, religious issues. He he worshipped a god that was kind of a minority god in Babylon. And so he went off to his own religious thing and, and left his son Belshazzar as kind of uh, acting king, if you will. That's why, parenthetically, that... that, that, that uh, uh, the best he could offer Daniel was third in the kingdom because he was really second in the kingdom and so he couldn't make him. Well, you get the picture. And so, so, so that's Nebuchadnezzar. We had some high hopes for Nebuchadnezzar and, and the world in which uh, D- Daniel and these Hebrews exiled w- would live because you remember the great profession uh, of faith that, uh, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had in, in, his, in his last sort of um, uh, announcement, at least, that we have uh, from him. He, he declares that that God's dominion is everlasting and his kingdom endures from generation and generation and, and, and that, that none can stay his hand and, and all of that. I still debate about whether that's a confession that means that Nebuchadnezzar actually was converted. We, we, you know, there's debate about that. We'll leave that for some other people. But, but had rather high hopes, didn't we, that, uh, that uh, things would go well for Daniel and the Hebrews in Babylon, and now, 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar's no longer being king, we find a new king that doesn't seem favorable at all. And I'm just thinking about how quickly things can change. Now, I know for some, 23 years might not seem all that quick. Then I realize I have sweaters older than that, right? I just uh, just think of change and how quickly it can really happen. I just think in just the course of my own lifetime, I would have never thought when I was a kid that Islam would have grown so much that in the major cities of the world there will be mo- there would be mosques where churches once stood. I would never have thought that the church in the U.S. would so decline. And the church in South America, Africa, and Asia would so grow that they would be sending missionaries to us. I never thought that marriage would be on such a decline that divorce and marriage would sort of equal out in the course of our culture. I never thought that we'd live in a world where a man living with a woman without being married would be so commonplace that no one would even blink. I never thought that we would live in a culture where those of the same gender would seek to be married. I never thought to live in a culture where most children would grow up in a home without a mom and a dad. And yet that's where we find ourselves. In just some decades. And and again, I think about Daniel. I think about Daniel in that situation. If if I'm Daniel, and and this is speculation, this is my own editorializing. Go with me with this for just a moment, if you would. But but if Daniel, you know, if I'm Daniel, I'm pretty happy. I got King Nebuchadnezzar finally to make a great profession. And, 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 And perhaps this is going to hold. I'm thinking life for us could be pretty good. We've got a guy in office who kind of reflects who we are. And, and, and let's ride that out. But you see, you see for Daniel, he, he would know what it took 
Nebuchadnezzar some very difficult lessons to learn, that it was God who was sovereign, mysteriously sovereign over all things. That it was God who raised up and God who took down. And so, so Daniel knew that he couldn't allow just the circumstances of life to be that which would give him security and confidence because he knew he had told Nebuchadnezzar from Nebuchadnezzar's own dreams. He had seen visions and he knew that that Babylon would collapse. He knew that that would take place. He knew that these kingdoms would fall. He knew that these kings would be replaced. And so he knew that he couldn't put his own hope in those kinds of, of circumstances just because you have a favorable one who's leading that that would always Always be the case that his circumstances couldn't be his security, that his security had to be in something else other than that. In fact, we realize by this point in time, Daniel seems to become certainly less prominent, if not obscure. I mean, I mean, the queen mom who comes in to talk to Belshazzar about this situation knew about Daniel. But 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 Belshazzar seemed not to. He seemed always uh, oh, kind of there, but it was strained a bit to really know who this Daniel was. But if we think about it, see, years passed in the the Bible from sometimes one line to the next. I mean, decades passed from the end of chapter 4 to chapter 5. And and Daniel's living in the midst of it. Now, we'll we'll catch up a bit with Daniel in chapter 7 through 12 because he sees some funny things during that time period. And we'll we'll take a look at some of those with him. But but here you see what's taking place and we have to question, what what was Daniel doing during this time? As we said, he, he was living in Babylon, but he was never to become of Babylon. The way Jesus would put it, I think, is that he was living as one who was salt and light in this place. He was present in... Babylon, but he was faithfully living out obedience to God. And quietly, it seems. I mean, it doesn't seem like he was making a big splash, not big enough for Belshazzar to know who he was or to really remember or to call for him as Nebuchadnezzar had once done. And so there he was, Daniel, in the midst of that, uh, not trusting in who was leading Babylon, but trusting in God. It's easy for us to trust favorable circumstances and not trust God. We need to trust God regardless of whether the circumstances are favorable to us or not. And we need to live presence in the place, but faithful always to God. The salt and light that we're to bring a certain preserving factor wherever we are. Light to bring the very presence of the kingdom, uh, an understanding the, uh, of the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That this invisible kingdom can be made visible through the lives that we live, the things that we say. And then taking advantage of opportunities as Daniel would have to speak that which is true. And this is one such opportunity as Daniel's brought in before this king uh, Belshazzar, uh, and and uh, we we realize that Belshazzar had 
really fallen, even from where Nebuchadnezzar was. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was a proud man. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar uh, looked at the kingdom that he, that he was the king over and, and he, he ascribed all of that to himself, his own wisdom and strength and all of that. But, but God humbled him and he seemed to be humbled by what God did in his life. You remember that, that God made him beastly and he was grazing out in the palace yard for some time. But then it dawned on him. He said, I came back to my senses. I began to reason and realize that I'm not God, that God is God, that he's the one who gives wisdom and strength and that all that I have has come from him, you see. And Daniel would know in his own life this what we might call mysterious sovereignty. Mysterious, not in the sense that we're not aware of it, not in the sense that God is hiding his sovereignty from us, but, but it's something that we grapple with all the time. Because we know that God is sovereign over all things. He's, he raises up and tears down. And Daniel would know that there was so much in his life that he, he had no control over. It was just clear. I mean, he didn't have any control over where he was born, when he was born, to the parents to whom he was born, to his own genetic makeup that seemed to make him quite handsome and smart. He knew that he didn't have any control over that. He didn't have any, no, he didn't have any control about the fact that he happened to be born in a particular situation when the Babylonians came in and exiled the best and the brightest out of Israel and that he would be one of them, that he would be noticed by these leaders of Babylon who came in and exiled on. He, he knew he didn't have any control over that. But, but he also knew that he made real decisions and these real decisions concerning what he would eat and his faithfulness and his obedience and, and all of that. He knew he didn't have any control over these revelations that he was given. He, he didn't know these things. God had to give them to him. He knew he didn't have any control about the situations taking place, but yet they came into his mind and he had to be faithful in order to deliver these messages and this mysterious sovereignty in which he lived, in which they lived, in which we live. But Daniel was humbled by the gifts he was given. He was grateful. And he lived that out, you see. But Nebuchadnezzar would have to learn that the hard way. And, and he appeared too, at least as we read through the scriptures. Belshazzar, however, uh, didn't really learn that lesson. And so this on this particular occasion, what we find with Belshazzar is not only this pride and arrogance, but this blasphemy, really. This blasphemy where he takes these holy goblets, these goblets that Nebuchadnezzar and his, his folks had brought from the temple in Jerusalem and put in the temple of their gods. Now he takes them out and he uses them to toast his own gods, to worship his own gods. And so the sin of blasphemy, that is to, to speak or to do that which defames, besmirches the name of God. This is true of, of Belshazzar. We, we see this sin that has so overtaken him. And then this handwriting, this hand that comes on the scene and begins to write on the wall. Just like all the other situations with Nebuchadnezzar, nobody in the, in, in the, in the local dream team or the vision team or whatever it is, the, the astrologers and the Chaldeans and everyone, no one can read what this is. Or perhaps they could read it. I mean, it was just words. And, and perhaps they could read these words, but they couldn't figure out what they meant and what the interpretation would, would really be. And so then the queen mom comes and says, Daniel. And so he goes and gets Daniel. Now, I don't know if you remember, but, but there was, seemed always to be a measure of respect that Nebuchadnezzar had for, 
for Daniel. He, he realized that, that Daniel was wise. He realized that Daniel had the spirit of the gods in him, just as the queen mama had, had ex, has expressed it to Belshazzar. But Belshazzar was a little snarky, you know? He immediately puts Daniel in his place. Oh, you're that Daniel. You're that Daniel that was brought from Jerusalem. You're that Daniel that's the exile. You're that Daniel that's under our thumb. That Daniel. Okay, that Daniel. I've heard of you. I've heard that you have some gifts in this area. So if you can help me, then I'll make you third in the kingdom. He treated Daniel like a mercenary. If you help me, I'll pay you. And Daniel, of course, would have none of that. He said, no, 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 I don't do this for pay. That's not why I'm doing this. I, I work for God. He, he's my Lord. So, so I'll tell you what he's trying to communicate to you, just like I told Nebuchadnezzar what, he was, what God was communicating to, to him. And so uh, Daniel begins the interpretation. But before he gets to the specifics, he sets up the context of it. There's a sense in which he says, no, you really need to see uh, Belshazzar and us as well. You need to see the context of, of this handwriting. You, you need to see why it's, it's here at this particular point in time. Why this judgment comes. And, 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 and he says, first this, you know, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar was given great things. And he was proud, yet the Lord humbled him. And he received that. And you knew all these things, but you haven't humbled yourself. In other words, you're saying to Belshazzar, you knew all this stuff and there's no excuse for you. you God has already demonstrated it, played it out. And, and so, so really, you are still in your arrogance and still in your pride. You should have learned this lesson. You have no excuse. You see, that's the very essence of sin, isn't it? The very essence of sin. Of even knowing the truth. But still refusing to receive it. Refusing to accept it. And Jesus put it like this. He said, men love darkness rather than light. See, they, they love the darkness Rather than even when the light is there. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 1. You know this. He, he says that, that, that you're without excuse. We're without excuse as human beings. That, that God's wisdom and strength has been revealed to us. Even in his creation. But what happens is rather than us to bow before God who is the creator. We bow before the creation. We worship the creation. We won't bow to the one who's made it. And, and he said we just refuse. In our sin to follow him. Uh, Jesus in John in chapter 5. Verse 39. uh, Lays it out uh, like this. He says. You search the scripture. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. That you might have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and not seek the glory that comes 
from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, he comes to Belshazzar and says, you're without excuse. It's been revealed. You refuse to believe. He comes, Jesus, to the Israelites themselves and says, it's been revealed to you. You refuse to believe. That's the very essence, you see, of sin. This is an issue for us, I think. It's an issue when I say us. I mean, those of us in the church, those of us who are in church, those of us, those of us who grow up in church, that, that, that we hear the truth. The question is, do we really believe it? Do we really grab a hold of it? Do we really trust it, you see? There, there is a way, because we see it all the time, that there is a way for people to grow up in the church and never believe. There's a way, you see. And that's sort of what's going on in Belshazzar's life. I mean, he didn't grow up in the church, obviously, but he grew up with Nebuchadnezzar in the history of Nebuchadnezzar. He knew what had happened. He knew what God had done, and yet he refused to be humbled. And, and yet, this is what happens to those who are prideful. And he said, no, not me. And he wouldn't be humbled by what had taken place in the life by the example of another. And so we see that. The author of Hebrews, as he writes... That sermon there we call Hebrews speaks to this very issue. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He says, yes, of course, you need to pay attention to all that has been revealed, all that you've heard. You're responsible for it. We must listen and we must, of course, then believe in the midst of of all of of all of that. And then in chapter 3, he writes this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is written today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The word to Belshazzar is, you're responsible. You're without excuse. This happened to Nebuchadnezzar. God wasn't just doing this in isolation. He did it in such a way that you would know it too. Therefore, you should have followed in Nebuchadnezzar's tradition of humility and acknowledgement as God is God. And you didn't. That's why this is now coming upon you. But there's something else here too. And there's something else here too is is the blasphemy that Belshazzar um, contributes. The, the vessels of the house of God, he takes them 
And he takes them and he fills them with wine. That's not the issue. He fills them with wine at a party. That's not the issue. Or the issue is that he takes these holy goblets. You see, in, in the days of, of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Daniel, in, in the days of ancient Israel, God set apart certain things as holy. And these things were set apart in such a way that they'd be used in the worship of God, set apart in such a way that to misuse them was to defame the name of God, was, was blasphemy, really. And, and these goblets were such. And it was one thing bad enough that Nebuchadnezzar had taken these goblets out of the temple and put them in the temple of its own gods. And it's another thing, even a greater sin, if you will, if we could put it like that, this blasphemy to take them and use them to toast these gods of Babylon, the gods of Belshazzar. And he says, when you did that, you, you blasphemed, you, you defamed the very name of God. That's why this is coming. And, and for me, you see, when I read that, it's a great lesson for me. Uh, because I realize that now God has made unto himself me to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit and thus be holy before him. And I realize then, you see, that when I use anything that's of me or anything in a way that is improper, impure, sinful, then, then I'm actually doing the, doing the same thing. I, I, I'm raising a toast to that which God has given to me, uh, to the gods of my heart. The idols of my heart and the idols of our culture. I think about my own mind, for instance, and I'm to think pure, not impure thoughts. When I'm thinking impure thoughts, I'm, I'm, I'm using something that God has given to me. Something is to be holy to the Lord. I'm using it for an unholy purpose. And so I must think pure thoughts, not impure thoughts. You know the impure thoughts you have about others, about fill in the blank. How different is that than what Belshazzar was doing as he took these holy vessels and toasted the gods of the, of the age of the world? I think of my tongue. It's to be holy before the Lord. Uh, James, who writes that epistle, uh, is, 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 is rather amazed. He says, he says, you know this as well as I do, that this same tongue can be used to bless the Lord and to curse others. How can that be, you see? And so this tongue that I have is to be holy to the Lord when I'm using it in a way that's cursing others that's not holy to the Lord. I, my body, you see. To use our bodies in such a way. To give our bodies to that which is holy and that which is, that which is unholy. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, the apostle writes about, about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. And in that context, he's speaking about sexuality. And so when we are in sexual sin, there's a sense in which we're using our bodies, that which is to be holy, to an unholy purpose. And thus with our bodies in this unholy purpose, we're actually toasting the gods of this age. They would tell us wrong things about sexuality. And so you see, I, I realize now I'm to offer all of this. The gifts that he gives us, even our Bibles, we're, we're to use for holy purposes, not unholy purposes. We're to use the Bible for edification, not for argumentation, right? And we're to use it not to negotiate with God, but to submit 
to him. And I've used his word to argue. I've used his word to negotiate. No, to use it for holy purposes, his purposes, the way he designs it for, for edification, for nurture, for faith. To submit and to follow, and not to get out of it. He gives us gifts that were to use for holy purposes, mercy and, and teaching and compassion and love. And we're to use them for holy purposes, not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt him. Not to toast ourselves, but to toast him, if you will. And I realize that we can use all of these things, you see, in this, these particular ways. So, so the, the, the message comes down. And Daniel uh, explains it uh, quite easily for us to understand many, many tekel parson, these words that are there. And, and Daniel takes them and and understands them like this. He says, your days have been numbered. For whom isn't that true? Your names have been numbered. Your days have been numbered. He says says that to Belshazzar. And and then he says, and you've been weighed, evaluated. Uh, That's what God can do. He's God, therefore, he's the evaluator of all things. So so your days have been numbered, and, and you've been weighed, you've been evaluated, and you've been found wanting. That is, you haven't, you haven't really lived up to the standard, you see. And so now, judgment comes. Now, we see it quite immediately in Belshazzar's life. You see, he thought all was well. He didn't realized that the enemy had made inroads into the city and were about to get him. He he thought all was well. I mean, this huge wall, over 500 feet tall, over 80 feet wide, he had this huge wall around the city that would protect him. The river Euphrates went through the city, and and thus they had plenty of of water for people and for cattle and for their crops and all of that. What he didn't realize is that that during all this time, the enemy was closing in and and draining this river so they could come through and and get him. And, and, And so he threw a party. He was so secure in all of that that he threw a feast while the enemy was making headway to destroy him. Jesus' words, you know, my coming will be like the days of Noah. When people are just living life, marrying and giving in marriage and all that. And many will just be surprised. I can't think of, I can't help but think of this man in the parable that we read about earlier in Luke chapter 12. Don't you know he was shocked that night when his soul was demanded, when he died? I mean, he thought everything was great and everything was wonderful. And, and he had bigger barns and what couldn't be better? How, how, how more secure could he possibly be? And then he, he realized, whoops, I don't have anything necessary for now, which is when his soul was required. He didn't have faith. He hadn't repented, hadn't trusted. There he was, completely bankrupt. And there was Belshazzar who thought everything was fine, and, and, yet, it, and yet it wasn't, you see. That's where he was, and the kingdom 
was taken from him. Now, if you understand this table, you understand that handwriting that was on the wall. You understand, I understand, that my days have been numbered. I understand that I've been found wanting. I understand that judgment will come. The good news that is expressed through this table is that there was a man named Jesus whose days were also numbered. And there was a man named Jesus who was found perfect. And that this man Jesus would give his life for us, give his life, his perfection for us, that we might have his righteousness and take upon himself our wantingness, our sin, so that we might have life. Uh, you know this. And Belshazzar knew what had taken place in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and he refused to be humbled by it, refused to believe. Here it is before us. We know these things. We've been taught the scripture. We've heard the gospel, most of us. We've, we've, we've seen baptisms, the water of cleansing, come around this table. Right? We've been blessed. We know the testimony of other believers. We've seen God at work in their lives. We've seen God at work in our lives. And we come on a Sunday and this table is set and we remember the words of Jesus. He took bread and he broke it on that night that he was betrayed and he gave it to his disciples. So this is my body. Could we say, the reason it has to be given for you is because you've been found wanting. But, 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 but I can take that. I can take your sin upon myself. It'll do to me what it really should do to you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup as well after giving thanks. This too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood. It can wash walls. It can can wash those words off the wall. And because it will take that which is designed for you, which you deserve, and cleanse. So no longer will you be found wanting. You'll be found in me, Jesus says. You'll be found cleansed. You'll be found justified. 
you'll be found righteous. And the question, of course, is, do we believe that? Now, can I say this? If you come to this table not believing that, then you're taking that which is holy and profaning it. Right? You're saying, this is my salvation when it isn't. And of course, when I say this is my salvation, I don't mean this bread and juice, I mean Jesus. And so, there's a sense of serious celebration. Serious in the sense I examine my heart. Do I believe this? Celebration is yes. If I do, then it means everything, you see. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. Would you grant us this great sense of assurance? Yes, this is true. I know there are doubts and I know that we struggle and I know that we sin and I know that all of that happens in our lives. And and as we come to this table, it's not because all is well and we're perfect and all of that. Surely that can't be true. We come trusting, we come asking, we come needing, we come desiring for you to fortify our faith. We come desiring for you to nourish us in our faith. We come desiring that you would grant us deeper assurance. But Father... As we come, we come compelled, knowing, yes, this is my only hope. We know what happened to Jesus. We know what should happen to us. We're humbled by that. We're sorry for our sin. We know the damage. It's done to your name and to your creation and to us. So even now, we humbly come, confessing, repenting, trusting. So I pray that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that, God, we would know we're in the very presence of our Lord Jesus, this great shepherd of us and Father. That knowing we're in his presence, we know that we're safe and secure in yours. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you, this table is not the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. And he invites to this table, his table, all those who understand themselves to be sinners in his sight, who understand themselves to be without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And all those then who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. And all those then humbled by him, grateful to him, who desire to live in such a way that would be honoring to him that be true for you, I invite you to come. These two sections, come down this aisle to my left, these down the aisle to my right. 
take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and as you do, remind yourself that you and I, that we've been found wanting. But Jesus has been found perfect.